Amen. What a wonderful ministry of mercy that accompanies the gospel all around the world. Indeed, we are privileged to participate in it. Next week, uh, we will have a Christmas tree, a uh, uh, Christmas shoebox Christmas tree right over here. Uh, last night, though, we had a wonderful time. Uh, we had a full house. If you drove by and saw the parking lot full last evening, uh, it was a wonderful time with the Southern Southern Ambassadors and their uh, fourth annual uh, homecoming scene here at Adamsville Baptist, and we are thankful for them. They are thankful to you uh, for the opportunity to sing and, and to use this facility, and it, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. As we come this morning, uh, we are going to be talking about ministries of mercy, and over the next month, we want to encourage you to be packing shoeboxes Carefully putting things in them so that they can be sent out all over the world to minister to those who are in need and to minister to those children who are less fortunate. And so uh, we want to encourage you over the next month within your family, within your Sunday school class, within uh, the community and the fellowship of the church to be packing shoeboxes so that we can send those shoeboxes out to further the gospel throughout the nations. And this morning as we come, we're going to talk about our ministries of mercy. Where are we and what are we doing? In one sentence, the Bible summarizes the entirety of the life of two men. In one sentence, the Bible writes the biographies of Fugelis and Homogenes. Now, if you're from North Carolina, you, don't, you see Fugelis or something of that nature. You can call him Bubba for all I care. But this guy, Fugelis and Hermogenes, they turned away from Paul in his hour of need. Whether because of fear or because of embarrassment or selfish motives, they chose not to minister, not to refresh Paul, but rather to go away from him. In another sentence, the Bible summarizes or provides a a biography of Onesiphorus. He often refreshed Paul and was not ashamed of his shame question before us this morning is, what is your biography? If your life was summed up in the course of one sentence within the text of Scripture, what would be the sum sum total of your life? What would be your biography, your lasting legacy? Indeed, the gospel is not simply for us to be a cognitive recognition or a simple confession of Jesus as the Savior of sinners. But the gospel for us is to be a personal experience of Jesus Christ as my living Lord and Savior, where my actions testify to my faith, where my actions testify to my faith. Let me ask you, what's your biography? What is your biography? Do you seek out those who are in need of ministry and mercy, ministries of mercy and refreshment? Do you selflessly serve no matter what others are saying or doing? If so, the Lord will reward you on that day of his appearing. So we come this morning in the midst of a culture of uncertainty with all kinds of things going on, we need to know, number one, how to have a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to be sure and certain that we do. Number two, we need to guard the gospel. We need to retain the sound words as we saw last week in verses 13 and 14. And finally, in verses 15 through 18, we are to minister the mercy of God to encourage others to endure. Now, for Christians in the midst of our culture, we, have cert- we can have certainty 
and assurance that this world is not our home. When things are difficult, when we are facing hard times and difficulties, we can have surety and certainty that indeed this world is not our home. Though our job may fizzle out, though our retirements may fade away, though our country may falter at times, we understand the glorious kingdom of our great and loving God far surpasses anything that brings us hope here in this world. As we come in these times, we ought to encourage one another. We ought to help one another. We ought to bear one another's burdens. We ought to lift up one another. In the Library of Congress, there is a small blue box. And the blue box has a label that reads, The contents of the President's pockets on April 14, 1865. The contents of the pockets of the President... On April 14, 1865. Now immediately some of you know and understand that that was the fateful night when Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln, was assassinated there at the theater. Indeed, most of us would wonder, well, what in the world was in the president's pockets that night? And the first thing was a handkerchief that had a Lincoln. The second thing was a country boy's penknife. Indeed, he and I must have been friends. Uh, we, we would have been friends at some other point in life. Uh, number three, there was a spectacles box that was repaired with a little string. A pur- number four, there was a purse containing a $5 bill. And oh, by the way, the $5 bill was a confederate bill but the fifth thing was somewhat striking the fifth thing that was in his pocket were newspaper clippings newspaper clippings and as they looked at the newspaper clippings all of the clippings are concerned with the great deeds of abraham lincoln One of them actually reports a speech by John Bright, a British statesman, saying that Abraham Lincoln is indeed one of the greatest men who has ever lived. Now for us, we can stand and look back on history and we understand the greatness of Abraham Lincoln and how great a leader he was within these United States of America. But in 1865, the jury was still out. The nation was divided and Lincoln had fierce critics on both sides as he made decisions that he hoped would eventually restore the Union. Remember, Lincoln couldn't read the history books about himself. They hadn't been written yet. However, there is something that is very poignant about this solitary figure, this lonely figure sitting in the midst of the Oval Office as President of the United States, wondering if he's making the right decisions, wondering if he is going in the right direction and reaching into his pocket and pulling out these newspaper clippings and opening them up and spreading them out there before him on his desk and simply saying, I must be going in the right direction. Look at the encouragement. Look at the encouragement. Indeed, this gave Lincoln great courage and strength to go on and to to continue on the path of his convictions. People, especially leaders, need encouragement. Today we see Paul and we shift our view from the Oval Office to a Roman dungeon. And we see the Apostle Paul, not President of the United States, not sitting in a glorious Oval Office being encouraged, but Paul there in a damp 
Roman dungeon, shackled to the Roman guard. And there is Paul, the great evangelist, the great missionary of God's kingdom in the need of encouragement as he faces his closing days within this world. He is awaiting his execution in a Roman prison and he needs someone to come to him, to minister to him, to carry him through, to encourage him in this time. And here comes Onesiphorus. And he comes and he sits down and he shares his life with Paul. He ministers. He cares for him. He comforts him. He consoles him. He encourages him. Indeed, in the midst of the uncertainty that Paul had about his life and his ministry, indeed, many had forsaken him throughout all of Asia. But Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed of even those servants who were suffering for Christ in shackles and in chains. Onesiphorus, which means bringing profit, Indeed, brought great profit to Paul as he was there in that dungeon. He was a model of God's ministry, minister of mercy to Paul in his time of need. As Christians, we are to be ministers of mercy to others in their time of need as well. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, and let us see what it looks like, what the example is to be a minister of mercy. Let's stand in honor of this, the reading of God's holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and following. The Bible reads, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phugelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered to me at Ephesus. The Lord grant mercy on the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. Of my chains. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel that comes and tells us that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he was willing to suffer and die in our place so that we might have freedom. We thank you that, Father, you haven't just saved us so we could sit soak and sour, but you have saved us so that we could serve, so that we could go and share that glorious gospel with all those around. Lord, we come to you in these moments. We come to you right now asking that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate your word, that it would make it alive. Father, that it would make it, Father, applicable so that we might see and know and understand the model of life that we are to embrace, the model of life that we are to accept, that we are not to reject your servants, but, Father, we are rather we are rather to embrace them. We are to receive them. We are to rejoice with them. We are to refresh them in the ministries of mercy that you have given to us. Lead us and guide us today, and, Father, we ask it as always, Father, That you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen.
Indeed, in this text, we see that we are not to shrink back from those who are, who are suffering for the sake of the gospel, but rather we are to minister to, with mercy to refresh their souls. We're not to shrink away. We're not to turn our backs. We're not to walk away from those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel, but rather we are to come to them in their hour of need and we are to minister mercy, mercifully to them. We are to refresh their souls and encourage them to keep on, to go on, to move on, even from the prison cell, Paul pens this letter to encourage Timothy. Timothy, you keep fighting. Timothy, you keep going. Timothy, you keep pursuing the gospel going forward. Indeed, the battles of faith and the hardships of faithfulness are not theoretical within this passage. For Paul was involved with real people who chose either to follow Christ or to reject him and to reject his servants. This underscores the choice facing any and every Christian even until this day. There is no neutral position in life. You can't sit on the fence as to what you will do with Jesus Christ. You are either for him and you are serving him or you are against him. You are either faithful to him or you are faithless towards him it is true that our actions reveal the faith and love we have for christ or they reveal that we love someone or something else more and so today we have two models of response two models of response to those who are suffering for the gospel two choices before us to receive them and to refresh them with ministries of mercy Or to reject them. What is your biography? What is your testimony? See with the words of our mouth. And the works of our hands. We demonstrate whether Jesus Christ is Lord. And King of our lives. And today we see that demonstrated. Through these three characters. That are placed within this epistle of 2 Timothy. And so let's begin first of all. With a model that is to be avoided. A model that is to be avoided. We see there in verse 15 the model that is to be avoided, which is a rejection of Paul, a rejection of the suffering servant. It says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me among them, among whom are Fugelus and Hermogenes. Here Paul is preparing us for disappointment, even disappointment within the church. It's a sad, sad sentence, isn't it? Isn't this sad to see how this plays out in the course of life? Paul says, listen, you are aware of the fact that all of those who are in Asia have turned away from me. All of those, including even including Fugelis and Hermogenes. Perhaps they were leaders in the church. Perhaps they were ministers who had come alongside Paul and partners for some time with him. Perhaps they were men who had been great influence within the community testifying to Christ. But now they had forsaken that. They had walked away. And whether they just simply sold out Paul by not using their influence to minister and to provide deliverance for him when he was, uh, when he was brought into uh, persecution or whether they actually turned their back on him and turned him over to the authorities. We just simply don't know. But what Paul is saying here is, Timothy, listen, being faithful to the Lord doesn't guarantee human loyalty to us. Being faithful to the Lord doesn't mean God's people won't turn against you. That doesn't mean that God's people won't let you down. 
Paul had shared the gospel with Asia before any of the other apostles. He had gone at great cost to himself into, uh, into all of the Roman Empire, evangelizing both Jews and Greeks for the cause of Christ. He had risked his life. He had shed his blood. He had endured many beatings and persecution in order to bring the gospel to these brothers and sisters in Asia. And now in his hour of trial, in his time of persecution and prosecution, Now, all have turned against him. You can understand why, can't you? Oh, let's stop being self-righteous and indignant. Of course we can understand why. Because for them to go and associate with Paul, it would have put themselves at risk. It would have risked their own lives. It would have risked their families. It would have risked their livelihoods. Indeed, to identify yourself as a Christian within the context of this place and this time would have cost you greatly. And they just said, you know what? I think I'm sitting this one out. You ever done that? Ever been there? I think I'm just going to ride this one out. We'll see how it plays out. Oh, to live above with those we love, that is glory. But to live below with those we know, well, that's a different story. Here's the thing. It would ne- it, this action would have invited hardship and persecution. So in his hour of need, this man, uh, the, these men who had been, uh, this man Paul, who had been the human vessel that sacrificed so much to bring the gospel to Asia, indeed was now abandoned by the very Christians that he had given so much to lead to Christ. Some of them perhaps said, well, Paul is strong enough. He'll make it through on his own. You ever said that? Well, the pastor has enough faith. He'll get through it. That Sunday school teacher, I mean, he teaches me the Bible. He'll get through it. He'll get over it. Maybe there were others who were actually selfish in saying, well, you know what? We don't want to bring persecution and prosecution upon ourselves, so we just aren't going to take a stand for the gospel. But there were probably others who were active in the persecution and prosecution. There were others, perhaps even Fugelis and Hermogenes, who had given themselves over to be a a participant in the persecution and prosecution of Paul. The reality is all three of those categories exist at any one time, in any one place. And what Paul is saying is, listen, Timothy, just because you're faithful to the Lord, just because you're faithful to his work doesn't mean the church won't turn against you. It doesn't mean that you'll always be held up by those who love who who say they love Christ. Paul could have become bitter at this point. He could have become cynical. He could have become senile and selfish. But no, he doesn't do any of those things. He could have questioned God. He could have questioned Christ. He could have questioned the gospel. He could have said, God, I've surrendered everything. I've suffered much for you. Why in the world is all this stuff going on? But isn't it beautiful? Paul doesn't say that at all. Says Timothy, don't think that serving God's people will mean that they will not let you down, that they will not support you. This is an important lesson for each and every one of us today. Why? Because we are sinful people living in the midst of a sinful world. And even within the church, we have sinners who, yes, are redeemed, but we are sinners nonetheless. You looking for a perfect church? This isn't it. We got problems just like everybody else. The reality is, There's no church that is perfect because we are all sinners. And as much as it pains me to have to admit it, the reality is even I let you down. You're looking for a perfect pastor. I'm not him. There's no such thing. 
With the exception of Jesus Christ, there was no one who was sinless within this life. And so as we come, we need to understand that we need to change and shift our perspective. And indeed, one of the things that I hate most is that I have to stand before you and contrary to my sinful pride, which wants to make me say, well, you never make mistakes. You never do anything wrong. I have to say, you know what? There are times when I let you down. I will let you down. Christ will never let you down, but I will. The reality is, It's not only because of my sinful pride that it pains me to say that. It's because there's a genuine love in my heart for you. Why am I moved to tears upon the death of our saints, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because there's a genuine love, a genuine compassion. Indeed, I don't want to fail in the ministry that God has gifted me, but the reality is I do, and we all do. I fail in my ministry all the time. I disappoint some of you. Many of you are much too kind to ever tell me that I've disappointed you, but I know it, and it kills me. Others of you don't mind telling me, and that's okay too. That's all right. Now let me add this to this. Not only does a pastor disappoint you at times, but even other people disappoint you at times. Indeed, all of us have had that situation. We disappoint one another all the time. There are times where you are in crisis, where you are in times of need in your life. And you say, you know, my friends in my Sunday school class, my deacons, my pastors have really let me down. They just haven't been there to support me as much as I thought they would. We We all know those people who grew up professing Christ grew up within the church and living in the church, serving in the church. And then they came to a crisis point in their life and they were let down perhaps by their best friend, perhaps by a Sunday school teacher, perhaps by by someone uh, on staff or perhaps by a deacon. And then they turn around and they walked out of the church because they were so battered, so bruised, so wounded and so let down, so disappointed by Christians. But isn't it glorious? Paul says, don't have your hope in mankind because all of those I had led to Christ. Christ turned their back on me, but it doesn't change one iota of my commitment to Christ, my commitment to the gospel, and my commitment to the servants that God has given. What a wonderful statement. Jesus even knew this type of forsaking. Jesus knew this. Do you remember Jesus being forsaken by all of his beloved disciples. Oh no, it wasn't just one. It wasn't just two. It wasn't just Judas who betrayed him and then Peter who denied him. But it says in Matthew chapter 26 verse 56 that all of the disciples fled from him in his hour of need. Every one of them. Guys, if our hope is in anything less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness... We have misplaced hope and faith. Indeed, we must avoid the temptation to be ashamed of and reject those that love and serve Christ. But secondly, we are to remember when we're wounded by one of our fellow believers or even by one of our ministers in the church that that has that we are to take that as an opportunity to experience the disappointment of of living with sinners, redeemed sinners, yes, but sinners nonetheless. Remember, you have an opportunity in that moment to experience and endure what your Savior experienced from you. So don't become bitter. 
Don't become senile. Don't become cynical. Don't become selfish. Don't close the door on God's people. Don't close the door on God's church. You keep on. You live on. You continue to serve. You continue to love God. Listen, don't follow the model of rejection. Rather, follow the model of what? Of refreshment. Follow the model of refreshment. From the faithless, Paul now turns the tide to the faithful. He says, look there in verses 16 uh, through 18. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus says, listen, in, this wide, in the midst of this widespread defection, one man and his family have remained faithful, have continued to, to be committed to Christ, have continued to minister to me. And for that, Paul is forever grateful. You can hear it pouring out of his words in, the, in his expression of how Onesiphorus was willing to minister mercy in his hour of need. Indeed, Onesiphorus had refreshed the soul of him, of him that was suffering and enduring hardship for the gospel out of all those Christians who were living in Asia, who had abandoned Paul. Onesiphorus was not among those. He had not, when he came to Rome, perhaps on business, though I think he probably made up a reason to go on business so that he could intently see Paul and minister to him. This man comes to Rome, and when he gets there, what does he do? What does he do? Does he run as far away from from Paul as he can? Get away and hide away and make sure that nobody knows he has any connection to this man? No, he doesn't do that. Indeed, he searches all over the city and he find, until he finds Paul in a prison. And he goes to him and merciful, mercifully ministers to him. Look at how Paul describes him. He often refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chains. He eagerly. Search for me and found me. Let me ask you in your ministry that you have. Do you search out those who are in need? Those who are in need of mercy. Those who are in need of grace. Those who are in need of love. Do you look for opportunities to make the gospel known? Onesiphorus didn't tell Paul, listen, if you ever need anything, just send me a letter. Paul couldn't come and see him. I mean, it's sort of, it's equal with if you said to somebody today, I tell you what, if you ever need me, why don't you just uh, call me? Why don't you just send me a text? Just message me on Facebook. No, that's not what is put forward. What is put forward is he sought the one who was in need out. He went to him and encouraged him and administered to him in his hour of need. Rather than thinking of himself, his safety, his family's safety, and how dangerous and inconvenient it would be to travel to Rome and find Paul. Onesiphorus demonstrates selfless love, courage, and faithfulness to Christ and to Christ's servants by going and seeking out Paul and ministering to him. He was truly a model for a ministry of mercy that refreshes the soul of the one who is in need. And as we look at this, I want you to see four truths about the character of one who is a refresher. 
The model uh, that is to be accepted by us is the model of refresher. And here first we see a refresher is one who ministers by his presence. He ministers by his presence. See, it can be put very simply, very bluntly within our culture. Onesiphorus did what? Onesiphorus showed up. He was there. He came to Paul. McKinnon says, He went to Rome at a time when every Christian was trying to get out of Rome. He went to Rome when every Christian was trying to get out of Rome. See, Nero was covering Christians with pitch and tar and burning them to light his garden parties at night. Others, other Christians were being thrown to the lions in the midst of the Colosseum to satisfy the public's perverted lust for blood. But Onesiphorus deliberately went into this dangerous situation. He tracks down Paul because he had heard that his beloved friend and spiritual leader was in great need. Sometimes when someone has suffered the loss of a friend, the crisis that can occur in life. You know what we need to do? We don't need to be present and say a whole lot. Sometimes our presence is enough. Go. Well, I don't know what to say. That's okay. You just go and trust that if you're a Christian and the Spirit of God is living within you, He'll give you the words to speak. I think I remember Jesus making that promise in the Gospel. You just go and be there. This is sort of equated to someone going to Guantanamo Bay to visit someone who is persecuted. Indeed, if there were Christians there who were suffering for no other reason than for the fact that they had ministered the gospel, and you knew that if you took it upon yourself to go and to search out and find this believer who was in prison, who was being persecuted, prosecuted, and ultimately would be executed for no other reason than serving the purposes of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you took it upon yourself to go and you knew when you walked in you were unknown to all of those who were in authority to persecute and prosecute you, but you knew when you walked out you were going to be a target for everybody. That's what Onesimus did by showing up and being present in Paul's suffering. A magazine a few years ago asked for all those, uh, all, everybody to send in a definition of what a friend was. And the one definition that won was a definition of a friend that said, a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world is gone out. Isn't that true? We need those types of friends, don't we? We need those types of, who would come alongside and minister to us. Secondly, a refresher ministers by his acceptance. A refresher ministers by his acceptance. Paul writes that Onesiphorus was not ashamed of my chains. He was not ashamed of my chains. Paul says, listen, when he came and saw me, he didn't cast disparaging glances uh, at, at my chains, especially when they clanked in that cold and dark and damp dungeon, nor did he ignore them as if they weren't there. And I'm quite positive, I'm quite sure that when Onesiphorus came to minister mercifully to Paul in his hour of need, I'm quite sure he didn't come up and say, Paul, well, you know, if you just had a little more faith, God would deliver you. Quite sure he didn't say, well, you know, Peter, he was in jail too, and he's out now. What's wrong with you, Paul? 
Onesiphorus comes and he ministers by his presence. He ministers by his acceptance. Indeed, he doesn't say, Paul, next time, Paul, next time you know what you need to do. You need to be a little bit more soft-spoken, a little more tactful in how you present the gospel. No, Onesiphorus accepted Paul exactly where he was. Prison, stench, wretched conditions, everything, chains and all. He said, this is my spiritual leader. This is my spiritual mentor. This is the one who has brought the gospel to Asia. I'm going to love on him and encourage him all that I can. Indeed, we all need the refreshment of a friend who accepts our chains without condemnation at times. Thirdly, the ministry of a refresher we find is in his persistence. A refresher ministers in persistence. In verse 18, we see that he has partnered with Paul since when? Since Paul was in Ephesus. So it means that this is not just like a day. This isn't just a week of being committed to Christ and the gospel and the extension of the kingdom into the world. This isn't just a month. This is a lifetime. This is a lifestyle for Onesimus from the time that Paul had come to Ephesus, even until now, as he faces death in that Roman prison. Paul says Onesiphorus has been persistent. He's been faithful. He's been here often. Indeed, this is a lifestyle of refreshment to others. There's only one explanation for this kind of lifestyle. The focus of Onesiphorus was on the Lord and others, not on himself. And that's where we stumble a lot of times, isn't it? Onesiphorus is focused on the Lord. He's focused on the gospel. He's focused on the kingdom. He's focused on the well-being of Paul, not on himself. See, many in, in the church go around saying, well, you know what? I need to have my needs met. What can the church do to, for me today? How can they meet my needs? And they often leave church disappointed because they didn't have their needs met. Well, the preacher didn't preach a sermon that hit on my needs. It didn't really land on what I was expecting. And they totally ignore the person two rows down from them that's sitting there weeping and crying because the word of the Lord has touched and pricked the heart, the soul of that person sitting right beside them. I'm not singing those songs on Sunday morning. I'm not going to sing those songs. I don't like that kind of music. Well, what about the person who's sitting right over there who's weeping and crying and loving to be able to sing the Lord's words, the Lord's praises? Indeed, we need to have a unity within the fellowship, a unity that says it's not about me, it's about others, it's about seeing the kingdom go forward. Indeed, on the, on, we need to have uh, an, an opportunity, a, a vision that says the Lord is going to use me to minister to others and I need to look for those open doors. What about praying in the morning when we get up on Sunday morning to, pray, to come to church? What about praying, God, give me great wide open doors so that I might minister in mercy to those who are there this morning. You willing to step out and do that? See, the interesting thing is that those who are servants of the Lord, those who are refreshers of other spirits, are usually those who are most fulfilled and satisfied with the joy of the Lord themselves. Because they're not really concerned about themselves and their stuff and their safety. They're concerned about Christ and His kingdom going forward. Fourthly, 
A refresher is rewarded in God's kingdom, in God's way, in God's uh, in God's time, in God's way, in God's kingdom. A refresher, one who practices the ministry of refreshment to others, is rewarded in God's time, in God's in God's time, in God's way, in God's kingdom. Paul prays for God's mercy both on the workmen and on the workmen's family. Notice in verse sixteen, he prays for Onesimus's family because he understands that when you are active in the ministry of refreshment, when you are active in ministering mercy in the midst of deep and deep dark crises and crises and needs, then you and your family are going to have great difficulty. And so he prays first for the mercy of God to be upon the family of Onesimus, but secondly, that it would be upon Onesimus himself. Story is told about an 11-year-old little boy whose dad got him his first job at a garden center. His dad couldn't hardly stand it that first day of work, so about lunchtime he went by to see how his little boy was doing. He looked and saw his son, and he could tell something was wrong. And as a tear rolled down the side of his cheek, he asked his son, he said, Son, what in the world is wrong? What's going on? And the boy explained, Well, Dad, when I came to work this morning, they told me that I was going to get 50 cents an hour, and I've been here three hours now and I hadn't gotten any of my 50 senses. We can't have that perspective. Our rewards are not here and now. Our rewards are in God's eternal kingdom. If you expect all of the rewards of your service to be here and now, you're going to be greatly disappointed. For indeed, the rewards we will receive are the rewards handed out in eternity. You may or may not receive see rewards in this life. But listen, the world will call you stupid. They'll call you crazy. But indeed, it's a great testimony that the people of God love each other and minister mercifully and support each other and strengthen one another as they go through the darkest days and most difficult days of life. Indeed, when the, when the outward world looks in, they say, what is it going on with those people? Why do they sacrifice so much? Why are they so selfless? Why are they willing to lay everything down for one another? Well, they're willing to do that because their Lord Jesus Christ has saved their soul and secured their destiny by laying his life down at the cross of Calvary. Let me ask you, do you look for your rewards here now or rewards in eternity? See, the Lord does not forget anything that is done in his name. What was it that he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42? That even if you give one of these little ones a cold cup of water, I will not forget it. There will be a reward. What a blessing. To know we have a God that sees the secret, the secret places of our life, that sees what we do in our hearts and in our intentions, in our actions. Indeed, we are to accept within our lives the model of merciful ministry that is to be a refresher to the, the souls of those who are working hard and enduring persecution and suffering in the gospel. And we do this in four ways through our presence through our acceptance, through our persistence, and through having an eternal hope and eternal rewards. In one sentence, the Bible writes, it writes the biographies of of Phagellus and Hermogenes. And it says they turned away with all the others in Asia. They were faithless. In one sentence, it writes 
the biography of Onesiphorus. And in it, it says he was constantly there. He was a companion. He was a refresher of Paul's soul. What is the biography that can be written about you today? Faithful. Faithful to Christ. Faithful to Christ's people. Faithful to minister to those who are great in their time of need. Or faithless. Willing to turn your back and walk away from Christ. To walk away from everything. And to surrender yourselves to someone else, to something else. See, the gospel is not simply to be a cognitive recognition of Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. It is to be a personal experience as Jesus Christ is your Savior from sin. Your Lord and Master. Indeed, the actions of your life testify to the truthfulness of whether you are faithful or faithless. Father, we ask this morning that we would be people who are found faithful. Faithful in every way at every time. That Father, because Jesus Christ has suffered and died and rose again, we will give ourselves, Father, to serve Him and to serve those who are in need. Lord, this morning... I pray that if there is someone here who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who has not dealt with their sin, Father, that they would be willing to come and to lay down their life, to surrender everything, to sacrifice everything for the sake of the one who has given his life for them. Father, for those of us who have made that decision to surrender our lives, I ask that our biographies would be written with the one, one simple word, faithful. Faithful. Lord, faithful in our love and devotion to you. Faithful in our love and devotion to your church. Faithful in our service. Father, to expand your kingdom throughout all the nations. Lead us and guide us in this time as we sing this hymn of invitation. Father, allow us to rejoice in these moments that because He lives, I too can face tomorrow. Father, lead us and guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me. At the-